We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 10, picking up in verse 9 where we left off. And again, just a few pointers before we, we head into it. Yes, they're experiencing a transition, and it's not a good one. They think it is, but Samuel is going to remind them that it's not. They're taking one step closer into creating an independence from God, whereas God was before a ruler directly over them, letting them know what to do, guiding them, protecting them. No mediator between them, between the people and God. We had a, a prophet or a judge that God would raise up for the occasion that was needed. But prior to that, it was just do this and God will protect you. Don't do this and, well, you won't have that protection. And so it was, it was very cut and dry. But it, it was difficult for the people. It was difficult to be guided by God who they couldn't see. While all the other nations had a king that they could see. And so they finally chose a king, Saul. They didn't pick him, God picked him, but it was after the heart of the people. It was what the people would have wanted. So they raise him up, and Samuel anoints him, gives him his approval, if you will, and tells him this is how things are going to unfold. Samuel, like every one of us, if God were to give us direction, give us instruction, we would need some kind of confirmation. Lord, is this you? Are you really doing, are you really calling me into this? And Samuel knew that. God knew that. And as a result, Samuel told him, okay, now that you've been anointed, these are the things that are going to unfold today. And it was for affirmation. It was so that he knew that he knew that God called him. And it's very reassuring that God just doesn't, from a whim, tell us to do something without reassuring us that he's with us. And this is in spite of the people of Israel selecting a king, wanting a king, not wanting God as their king. In spite of that, God demonstrates something. And I believe there's what is called the permissive will of God and the perfect will of God. The permissive will of God being something that's not in his perfect will, right? We want to do something. We're not sure. We know, what we, sh- we, know we shouldn't do certain things, but then we find ourselves doing them. God doesn't disown us. We're still in his will. We're just not in his perfect will. Israel is not in his perfect will. And yet in spite of that, he will enable Saul to do his work. He will call Saul. And it's interesting because I, Saul didn't ask for He didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be king. But the occasion arose and he had to meet the call. And much like us, oftentimes, who was born into the, no one was born into the family of their choosing. No one was born in the country of their choosing. We just were here. And God has a call for our lives. And we're to respond to the call. We're to rise to the occasion. And picking up in verse 9 where it says that as soon as Saul turned his back on Samuel, it says God gave him another heart. That was necessary. A new heart is necessary to be able to do the will of God. Because so often we want to perform the things we know we should do in our own strength. And it only comes to failure. It'll say in verse 10, then the spirit of God came came upon him as he walked in obedience. The spirit of God came upon him and this isn't what we experience as Christians, the idea is just as the Spirit of God would come upon him, it would also come off. You guys recall the story of Samson? The Spirit of God would come upon him in the moment that was necessary. But then it would come up. How do you, what's the opposite of a paw? Upon, a paw? No. It would, just, it, it would leave him. And there was no feeling associated with it. It just was. Matter of fact, he kept... I think it was Tracy Gray that was teaching on how he could continue to be with this lady that was just constantly telling him, what, how does, what's the secret to your power, to your strength? He finally gave in, right? And it says that when he woke up like he normally would, thinking the spirit would just give him the strength. But it says that he didn't even know that the spirit had left him. And that's a sobering Feeling. That's a sobering thought to know that you could be walking in disobedience and not even know when the Holy Spirit no longer is convicting you. It's almost like you become numb 
Sin numbs you to the effect of it. And so here we see God just using Samuel, or I'm sorry, using Saul, giving him a new heart, filling him with the spirit, or not filling him, but the spirit coming upon him for this occasion. It says, and he prophesied. And it's interesting because Saul wasn't one recognized for being a spiritual man. Matter of fact, I'll paraphrase some of these other verses, but the people were, were asking themselves, who's, isn't this the son of, what's his name? Kish? Isn't this the son of Kish? We know Saul. What's he doing prophesying? I mean, what an experience. I mean, I can't even imagine being Saul. You're walking throughout the day. Suddenly your donkeys get lost. You're looking for him. You find another guy that's telling you you're going to be king today. He throws oil on your head, kisses you, and now you're prophesying. The spirit just changes you, and you're just experiencing all this stuff. And then people are like, what is going on with this guy today? He's acting weird. You know, they even made a phrase, you know, what is uh, Is Saul also among the prophets? Right? One would ask, but whose father, who's their father? Where does this originate? Where did, where, where, where does this all come from? Obviously, we know that God is the originator. He's orchestrating all of this. But then I love this little test. I think it's a test for Saul. He meets his uncle. Verse 14 says, then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where'd you go? I love uncle stories. Everyone has a story about an uncle. And I can just imagine this uncle seeing Saul come home. And he's just different. And he didn't want to ask probably like, what happened to you? So he asked, where'd you go? He was just being, you know, cordial. And Saul seems to kind of avoid giving a direct answer. He's like, well, I went to go look for some donkeys. Right, And when we saw that they, they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And we see Saul's uncle say, tell me please, <laughs> what did Samuel, what did he do to you? <laughs> he wants to know. He's just a curious uncle, and I love that. I, and I don't know why, but Saul, avoid, he dodged the question. Whether it was a good thing or bad, I've heard both sides that he was just being humble. He didn't want to speak ahead of time. Something had happened in secret. Saul uh, was anointed by Samuel in secret. It's good for the Lord to be the one to acknowledge you publicly. And so this could have been a humble thing that he did. Or he could have been avoiding what God was doing in him altogether. He could have been avoiding sharing the experience that he had with the Lord. I'm not quite sure, but what we can say is we don't know, right? It could be either one. It says, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him. So I think it's a good thing personally. I think it's important that we allow God to be the one to publicly recognize us for if we're the ones to do something. Let the Lord be the one to give you recognition. Don't seek it out. So I want to give Saul the benefit of the doubt here because we'll know later on kind of how his heart leans. Nevertheless, we move on and verse 17 through, through 19, Samuel has some words to say. They're getting ready to inaugurate Saul. And as they're getting ready to inaugurate him, Samuel wants it to be clear that this isn't all that great what what's happening. He goes and he gives a list of things that qualify God to be their king. Who took you out of Egypt? The Lord did. The Lord brought you out of Egypt. He delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of the kingdoms of, and the ones who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God. This is verse 19. Who himself saved you from all your adversaries or adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set over us, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord for your tribes and your clans. And so here's making it clear, guys, it's, this is what's happening today is sad. God brought you out of Egypt. God's protected you. God has provided for you. And you've said no to him. 
So just know, God isn't rejecting you. You're rejecting him. So he goes on and he says, he he goes on to organize the tribes. He gathers them up as though he were going to choose the man by lot. I don't know if you guys remember Aiken Bacon, right? He committed sin. He didn't want to come out. They had to force him out. But God had them divide themselves into tribes and it was by lot. To me, this is a way of God telling them, I'm giving you guys what you're asking for, right? It's a tedious process, but I want you to be sure that the guy that we're picking is coming from you guys. And so he starts, he starts dividing the tribes. The tribe of Benjamin is selected from Benjamin. The, the tribe of Matri was chosen. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. And so where was he? We'll skip to verse 22. Therefore, they inquired of the, they couldn't find Saul. Here they've, they spent all this time arranging for Saul to be king. They're going to inaugurate him and they can't find him. Well, where are you, Saul? So what do you do when you can't find a guy? You ask the Lord. It says, therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. Has a man come, uh, has the man come here yet? It's, uh, to me, it's pretty awesome that you can ask God even the simplest things, right? And that he answers. And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. Probably a John Deere tractor. Right? You just... Look, I get it. It's not easy to be in front of people. It's, I have to go to the bathroom every time, you know. He was probably scared of being in front of millions of people, no doubt. And yet, this is the man they've chosen. And so it says, then they ran, verse 23. They ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from the shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no, no one like him among all the people. I, I don't know if this was tongue in cheek on Saul's or on Sam, Samuel's part, right? Because here's the man, God never hid himself. God was always there. He was always present when the time called for it. He never made excuses, but yet, the man that the people would pick had to be drawn out, probably insecurities, right? Don't we all have insecurities? I have insecurities, right? We all have them. But it's awesome to see that in spite of the weaknesses of man, in spite of the insecurities of man, God draws him out. God has enabled him nonetheless. And here Samuel's, I think, being a little sorry, I could be wrong. It's just me, right? My interpretation, but it says, there is no one like him among all the people. Yeah, well, he's the tallest one, right? He's the tallest one. He's the most handsome one, but he's probably the one with the most insecurities of all. Who am I? He had a humble beginning. Who am I? And so good for Saul, humble beginnings. Uh, Didn't want the spotlight. I like this psalm. I'm used to reading about all of his issues, but I like seeing him in his early, earlier years. And so it says, it continues, the people shouted and said, long live the king. I'm sure they were waiting a long time to say that, right? Long live the king. I've heard it said in movies. I've heard other people say it, mainly in movies. No one randomly just says long live the king. <laughs> but I'm sure they were waiting a long time. Right, everyone, all the other nations got to say it. When can we say it? Well, here it is. They got what they wanted. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, probably how to serve as leaders and how to serve as servants to the leaders and wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. That was kind of, let's wrap, let's wrap things up. It says, and Saul went home to Gibeah There was no palace, right? This is the beginning of a kingdom. No palace for him to go to, so he goes home, right? And so it says, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. And I think that's important. I I love Horizon for that reason. I love Horizon because they don't pick 
people willy-nilly. They're very observant about who they pick. But it, here we, what we see is that the men who followed after Saul were men that, whose hearts God had touched. And I think that's very important, whether it's at a church or whether you're just an individual wanting to be surrounded by certain people. Pick your people carefully. Who are you going to be surrounded by? What kind of influence? I personally love having men that love the Lord surrounding me because even in my lowest points, right, I can count on their, on their wisdom. I can count on the advice that they can give me. So I, I'm thinking of examples, but I'm not going to share them because they're embarrassing. But how many times I've had people speak into my life it's good. I don't mind sharing them, some of them. But, but we all need to be challenged. I think Saul needed to be challenged. He needed to be surrounded by men that were willing to follow him. But then that also puts an added pressure on you because now you're having to lead men, right? I, I'm just a maintenance guy, but I have one, these wonderful men working under me and God has entrusted them to me. And so they look to me for instruction. And many times I make mistakes, and they see my mistakes and I don't mind them seeing my mistakes because I'm not perfect. But it's not about the mistakes you make. It's continuing to make decisions that can get you moving forward. Right. And so but I love these guys. They've encouraged me in many ways as I see them kind of progress in their walk with the Lord in their marriages. Right. And just being more faithful workers, just godly men. And so I love that. And so I love how, how Paul is, or Saul is surrounded by men who, whose hearts God had touched. And so moving on, it says, But some rebels said, How can this man save us? In other words, not everyone accepted Saul. He was inaugurated as king, but not everyone received him as king. And so this is going to play out in, in an interesting way. So they despised him. And brought him no presents. But notice what Saul did. It says, but he held his peace. This is a good, this is a good start to Saul. Right? These men are doing something that's disrespectful. But what Saul did was he turned a blind eye to it. It was as though he didn't even notice what they did. And that's a powerful way of being an example to the people. Of starting his ministry as king. And so what happens when you have a king? Well, all of a sudden, challenges arise, right? The king has to now prove himself. And it's interesting how the devil works. Once we start surrendering our lives to the king, our king being Jesus, once we start surrendering our, our life to him, uh, the attacks will come, and they come fairly quickly. And we read in verse, in, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11, Then Nahash the Ammonite, came up and encamped against uh, Jabesh Gilead. Now, if you guys recall, first of all, Nahash, it means serpent, right? Easy to draw the implication that this is probably a, a good illustration of how Satan tends to attack us. But for the sake of the story, Nabish, Nahash means serpent, and he's an Ammonite. And notice, he comes and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. Now, Jabesh Gilead, this is, this is the city, this is the little town from where all the Benjamites received their wives. If you guys remember in Judges, they had been basically wiped out. Almost no one could have a wife, and they had pity on them. And so all of the women came from Jabesh Gilead. And so notice, suddenly the enemy comes and attacks Jabesh Gilead. Get, well, not attacks, encamps next to. Notice, it's a threat, right? Here comes the enemy, and he's going, and he's threatening. So, most of the, more, like, more than likely, these Benjamites uh, that we're going to see, Saul, his grandmother more than likely came from this place here. And so, we read on, and it says, And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. It's interesting when we make a covenant with the enemy. This isn't a good thing. This tells me that the, that the men here uh, were lazy spiritually. They weren't looking to the Lord. 
And so what happened? The enemy comes. There's things that we know we shouldn't do, right? Whether they're being in relationships, we know how we ought to walk in those, right? Honoring the Lord. But then the temptation comes, right? Or whether it's looking at something on your phone or on the computer, the temptation there. Maybe you had victory at one point, but here it comes again. The enemy coming and he's just settling right there. Just intimidating you and bargaining with you. Let's make a covenant. Let's agree on something, right? And so what happens? And Nahash the Ammonite answered them. On this condition, I will make a covenant with you that I may pluck out all your right eyes and bring reproach on Israel. Wow. So, so this is the condition. And notice it's the, the Israelites that are in, uh, initiating the covenant. And Nahash, an Ammonite. You guys remember the, where the descendants of the Ammonites came from? The, Lot, right? So here's the descendants of Lot. And they're now, a repro- or they're now uh, the attackers of Israel. And so we have an interesting thing playing out here. He says, on this condition, I'll make a covenant with you that I may pluck out all your right eyes. Well, why would you do that? Well, what did they use to protect themselves? Like if you're right-handed, right? You use your left hand to lift the shield. So you see with your right eye. So if you pluck out the right eye, you're no good for battle. And isn't that the case when we compromise with sin? We make a covenant with sin. Suddenly we're no good for battle because we've given up already, right? And so here's the idea. We'll make a covenant, but we'll pluck out your right eyes. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off seven days. Let me think about it. I mean, what's there to think about, right? Like immediate, but see what they don't do is call upon the Lord. What they don't do is repent. Right? They don't do that. They say, give us seven days. And it tells me that they no longer looked at God as, as king over them, if you will, as ruler over them. They had forgotten him altogether. And they, in their all-knowing wisdom, they say, hold off seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. Wow. Are you kidding me? If there's no one to save us, we will just let you pluck out our right eye. What in the world? Makes me mad. I'm not even there, but I'm mad. Like, I'm going to go out fighting. You come into my house, that's it. <laughs> I'm like, my, my family needs someone to protect them. Right? And that's what God has called me as a husband, to protect my family. And these men were not even thinking about that. They were just ready to just lose an eye. That's, well, that's horrible. And yet, and yet that's, that's what they were willing to do. Now, what's more interesting too is that Nahash was like, okay, let's do it. Let's just give you, I'll give you seven days. I don't understand the thinking behind that. Like usually a man, an enemy comes to conquer. This man came to humiliate. And isn't it interesting that, you know, the enemy, though, though he may humiliate one individual, he can bring shame on all. Right? We know of, of uh, Christians in the community, maybe not this community, but that we've seen in public fi- that are public figures that have left the ministry because they've failed in some capacity. It doesn't just bring reproach to them. It, re- it brings reproach to all Christians, right? The prosperity gospel teachers. One of them owes me a watch. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I used to believe that crap or that stuff. Yeah, I'm still bitter. No, but it's true. You know how often the enemy can bring reproach because men say that they're walking with God. And again, I'm not. I'm a sinner, right? I'm not a perfect individual. I can't say follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, but I can say, you know, I, I have a king that gave his life for me. I have a king that has forgiven me, that fights my battles. And I can share that king with you. 
you know, and he's not ashamed of me, right? He told the, the, the Israelites through Samuel, uh, he has not left you, right? And so again, it's just interesting that these men, having God Almighty, would look to other men for help. And so it continues. It says, so the messengers uh, went to Gilgal, uh, to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. Now you understand because this is the beginnings of the kingdom of uh, 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 the, the reigning of kings in the history of Israel, there was no sophistication and strategy of how to communicate information. So Saul is hearing this secondhand. There is no direct line. He's not the first one to get notified. He's hearing this secondhand. It says, and all the people lifted their voices and wept. So they're all getting the news. Now, when Saul coming behind the herd from the field, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Now there was Saul coming uh, behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people? And this is a good image of Saul because he went back to work. Notice he was inaugurated king, but because there was no palace to go to, he went right back to work. <laughs> so here he is coming back from, I don't know what he was doing, herding cows or something. And so he's coming back and he's getting wind, but it's a sign of a servant, right? He's allowing God to position him. He's letting God be the one to place him where he needs to be. And that's another good thing. I, I want to give credit to Saul where credit is due. And Saul said, what troubles the people? That they weep. And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Now, interesting, the moment he heard is, it says that the spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news and his anger was greatly aroused. I remember, I'll share this story. This is, it's a good story, I feel. We had someone living with us. We wanted to help him out. And I tried to do my due diligence in, in scoping out this individual. And he ended up staying with us a few weeks, then turned to a month, then it turned to two months. And then my wife asked me, could you consider moving him on? And I thought, okay, well, let me just get some things ready. And I was procrastinating, right? And so she calls Bill <laughs> and I'm talking to Bill. And Bill spoke to me, and the Spirit of God came upon me, <laughs> and the anger was greatly aroused. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I got him out that week. You know, and for those of you who, know, who don't know, the man ended up going back into my parents' church. Someone there helped him, and I had warned them not to. I had warned them to be careful, just some signs that I saw that were not good. Well, he ended up murdering an individual in my dad's church. And yeah, and so he's in prison now for doing a life sentence. And there are moments in our lives where anger is appropriate. You know, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. But then there's righteous anger, right? And, and when it comes to protecting, when it comes to, to serving your family and those around you, there are moments where this is appropriate. And we'll see what Saul did. He says, So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces, and he sent them throughout the territory of Israel in the hands of the, of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul, the same, and Saul and Samuel, notice Samuel, he includes Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. And these are, again, these are farmers, right? This is an agricultural society. And so to be, to, for someone to destroy your oxen is to like destroy your tractor, your John Deere tractor, the one he was hiding behind. So it was a, it's a very stark, maybe some would say harsh, but I would say appropriate response. Guys, get with it, right? I, I, I appreciated <laughs> what Bill told me. I didn't appreciate it at the time. I appreciate it after because it did do, it stirred me up. I don't want to be lazy when it comes to doing what I know God is calling me to do. I don't want to be delayed in my response, whether it's obedience to the Lord. If, he, if I'm in a relationship that I know I shouldn't be, or maybe I'm supposed to commit to something and I'm not committing to it, I don't want to be lazy about God, about the things of God. And so this to me is an appropriate response to call men. And so, 
the fear of the Lord fell upon the people. Verse, still verse, I don't know where my numbers went. Yeah, verse seven. And it came upon the people, it says, and, and they came out with one consent. They responded appropriately. Now, out of this, Saul would get 330,000 men and he would arrange, he would organize them and they would go and, and he would tell them to, uh, he would send messengers in verse nine. And they said to the messengers who came, thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. So this is a good strategy on, on, on Saul's part. He's beginning to organize people. He's beginning to strategize. He's communicating. He's showing leadership. It says, then the messengers came to the, and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, and they said to Naash, uh, tomorrow we will come out to you and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. Again, I don't think that they were meaning that. I think they were just buying time. And so this is good. Now they're encouraged. The king of Israel is now coming to their aid. This is all good because now the people get to see what kind of king they've picked. And so it goes on in verse 11. It says, so it was that the next day Saul put the people in three companies. It says, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch. It's interesting. How is the enemy defeated? Right? Well, you need a king. Right? And you need someone speaking God's word. You need God's word spoken. And he attacks early in the morning. In other words, he doesn't delay. How do you defeat the enemy? You start now. Don't wait till that temptation comes around again. Because then you're going to fall right back into it. The moment you recognize that failure, you start strategizing now. Saul, at the first watch, it was still dark. It says, and what did he do? He arrived and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. They were just taking guys out left and right. Praise the Lord. Right? Here's the enemy. Enemy's asleep. And here comes Saul with his men, and they are just taking the enemy out left and right. And it says, and it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And the people said to Saul or to Samuel, who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. These guys were on fire. <laughs> and so Saul has to bring some cor- some correction, but But I'm glad Saul steps in. It says, but Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today, who won the victory? The Lord. The Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Again, credit where credit is due. Saul recognized this wasn't his victory. This was God's victory. And so kudos to Saul. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. This is a coronation. This is an opportunity after a victory to return to Gilgal, right? To to return to the place of consecration, to return to the place where the stone of shame is rolled away. Let's, Let's have victory in the Lord, but also remember, let's go back. Let's go back. To the beginnings. We have the cross as a reminder for us, right? We can have victory today, but don't count on that victory. You need victory tomorrow, right? And it's not dependent on you. Every victory begins at the foot of the cross where we're before the Lord, asking him for his grace, his mercy each day. And so that's what they did. They returned to Gilgal. And this is an incredible picture. Um, And again, why crown him king again? Or why, why make him king again? Well, because not everyone accepted him. Now that he proved himself, if you didn't accept him as king, now there's something to be said about that. And so Samuel uses the opportunity to speak again to the people of Israel. And he says, now Samuel said to Israel, indeed, I have heeded uh, your voice and all that you said to me. And have made a king over you. It says, 
And now here is, here is the king walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed. So what is he saying? It's almost like Samuel is stepping aside. He, he's allowing Saul to step into the position of power that he needs to step into. He's not resigning. He's just not allowing his, his ministry to take spotlight from the, the anointed king that God has placed over Israel. And so he's saying that by saying, here's your king walking before you. I am old and gray-headed. Like my time's running out, guys. And look, my sons are with you. Now, why would he say that? You remember the sin that he committed, right? By trying to appoint his sons in a position of leadership that only God would put. And so this caused his sons to be rejected. This caused, this caused uh, Samuel to feel rejected because his sons were rejected. And no doubt he had some shame about that. But what did he do? He removed his sons from the position of authority that he had given them. I remember the hardest thing I had to do. I was running a business before working at Horizon. I had to let go. I had to let go of my brother. And that was, man, that was gut-wrenching for me because I love my brother. I love him so he was I grew I looked up to him and you know, there were just decisions that I didn't agree with, you know, and, but it was hard. He's my bigger brother, right? It was hard for me to let him go, but I did. And I remember just weeping and, you know, it was the, the worst thing I had to do. And I can't imagine how hurtful that must have been for Saul or for Samuel to, to, you know, reprimand his sons, right? And remove them from the position of the, knowing he had put them there. This was his fault, right? His sons didn't ask for it. He wanted them to continue his legacy. And it was not a good sign. But now he's reminding the people, my sons are with you, indicating they're not in leadership roles. They're now among you guys, right? And so that's, that's encouraging to me. He was obedient to do what, what he needed to do. And I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. I mean, what an example Samuel was to the people. He walked since a child, right? His mom gave him over to serve the Lord, to be used by the Lord. And from an early age, being able to hear the voice of God and then being able to speak, have the courage to speak that. And to speak it to, to, to a man like Eli, having to tell him truth, that, that's a hard thing to have to do, especially at such an, a young age. But I'm sure Samuel's recalling all of the experiences he's had with the people, all of the times God has rescued them from the enemy, from the Philistines. That same group of people today is still attacking Israel. You guys have heard the news, right? You've seen, maybe some of you, the, the things that are still happening. The, the people are still there. It's interesting. The battle still continues to this day. But the Lord gave Samuel victory, gave the Israelites victory when they humbled themselves and confessed and drew near to God. It says, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, speak, yeah, and before his anointed, I believe he's speaking of Saul there, whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I cheated or whose watch have I taken? Man, they, see, those pastors can't say this, right? They'd have a, everyone would raise. Whom have I oppressed? Or from those, or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. It's amazing that he could say this, to look at the people and say, have I done you wrong in any way? Tell me and I'll make it right. Show me. And I'll correct it. And that's a wonderful testimony. It continues on to say, And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. It says, And they said, and they answered, He is witness. 
Then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. And I like that phrase, the righteous acts of the Lord. I, I, don't, I, I don't think Samuel wants by any means Israel to get the idea or the impression that these kings are going to do what God did for them. You are rejecting God as king. And these other men are not going to live up to the standard. But let me tell you, I want to remind you of God's righteous acts in your life. And he begins by saying, When Jacob had gone into Egypt and, the, and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses a righteous act. God raised up someone, right? And Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, another righteous act, bringing them out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. He didn't just take them out of somewhere. He brought them into something. He brought them into the promised land. And when they forgot the Lord, their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera. Notice, that's a righteous act. That God would allow us to, well, give us, again, it's our choice to disobey. But then God allows us to be sold, right? Or allowed Israel to be sold. That they would remember Right, that they would that they would be reminded of how good they had it with the Lord, to be, to be reminded of the sin of forgetting God. It says, "Commander of the army of Hazor, into the land and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab." Again, another descendant of Lot, and they fought against them. Then they cried out uh, to the Lord, and said. We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the balls and the asterisks, but now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. Now that was the purpose of the Lord allowing them to experience these captivities. And it says in verse 11, and the Lord sent Jerubbabel or Gideon, Bedan. Now we don't read about Bedan, but we can assume he was someone that God had sent to deliver them as well. Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. And when you saw Nahash, king of the Amorites, come against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Wow. I mean, again, they're making a decision that is shifting away from God, right? And we, I think we're guilty at times of making decisions that maybe, let's say they're not sinful, but they're not profitable either, right? They're not drawing me closer to God. They're just keeping me on this side. And, you know, I'm reading this, I'm guilty of the same thing, but, at, but my desire every day is to make decisions that draw me closer to him, right? When the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, he is, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set the king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commands of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the, uh, the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? In other words, Look, guys, I'm telling you all of this that you need to hear. And some of you are probably listening and not believing me or just shrugging me off. But let me do this, that you know that it's the Lord. God's going to give you a sign. He says, is it not wheat harvest? Well, what, why would he say that? Well, notice 
it doesn't rain during harvest time, right? It's almost considered a curse if it rain in harvest time because that's when you harvest. But he says, is not that we, is it, is today not wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called on the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Verse 19 says, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord, your God, that we may not die. There was fear. This was a, an event that wasn't common during the harvest season. And so suddenly there's thunder and rain. It's threatening their food supply. God wanted to make it clear. I don't approve of what's happening. And so their, their fear came upon them. And their first request to Samuel is pray. Pray that we don't die. And it says that, For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. They didn't say that the first time. Now they're saying it. They're recognizing God is speaking to them. But I love Samuel's heart. It says in verse 20, Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. I like that because he, he says the same thing to Joshua, right? Do not be afraid. Look, you have sinned, but then God says, do not fear. That's, those are, I love those words. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. It's important that we recognize when we do fall, but Samuel's heart was that you would continue to follow after. Don't let one mistake lead to another. Recognize it, but turn to the Lord and keep walking forward. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart and do not turn aside. For then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver for they are nothing. And isn't that the definition of idol? What is an idol? It's nothing. Right? It, bring, it brings emptiness. What's the saying? The bottom of the bottle is always dry. Whatever we consume will only bring more emptiness. And so verse 22 says, For the Lord will not forsake his people. And that's wonderful. They have forsaken God in some capacity, but the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make, his, to make you his people. I bet you that was refreshing to them. To know that they had failed. To know that God didn't approve of this act that they were asking of to, for a king. And yet to hear, do not be afraid. Right? Do not fear. Don't turn away from the Lord. Keep following after him. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. And the true is, the same is true for us, right? It's pleased him to make us his people. I, what, what would he, why would he want a guy like me? I remember when, when Scott Elman was, his work, I, I, it was 14, 15 years, gosh, 15 years ago, guys. I was I enrolled in Bible college and, and then they hired me to start painting the hallways. And I was painting, I, I think I was even donating some time, but I was painting. But then Scott Elman approached me and he's like, Hey, do you want to work for Horizon like full time? And I'm like, I don't think you want a guy like me, Scott. He's like, No, I think we do. I'm like, I don't think so. But I tell you, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I don't know about them, <laughs> you know, because I know myself. I know how. I know my stubbornness. I know I can be difficult at times. I know I have moments where I get angry. I know I, I'm just a human. I mean. I know, I know it may be tough at times to be around me. And, uh, and yet I've been so transformed by people pouring their love into me, right? People being patient with me. And it's been my heart's desire to do the same with others, right? To share with them what God has done in me. And so, and so I, I'm just grateful that God would call me, right? To serve him to whatever capacity 
because I, first of all, I know my weakness and yet forgot to use someone, right, to work maintenance here. But like me, it's, it's a humbling experience. And so I'm grateful for him. Verse 23 says, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord. But notice, they're asking Samuel, pray for us. Samuel says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray. In other words, they wanted him to start praying. His issue was he didn't want to stop praying. He had already been praying. I want men like that in my life, right? Men that, can, that, that are praying for me uh, and me for them because it's not just like, hey, pray for me in this capacity that I put the responsibility on them, right? And I don't do anything for myself. I want people to pray with me, right? I'm praying for myself too. I'm praying for others. But Samuel, his heart was to never stop praying. He had been praying all along. He loved the people. And that's, this is a man that's now being transitioned out of ministry. A man who, and we know a man like that, who loves the people and has been transitioned out of his ministry into another ministry, you know, and I'm so grateful for Bill, you know, just been a great example for me. And I'll buy his plane ticket if he wants to go to Ecuador. Notice this, it says, verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him. Isn't that all that God wants? That we would look to him, that we would serve him? Because again, he doesn't, I don't know what benefit he gets from me serving him because really the benefit is mine, right? I get to serve the king. I get his blessings. I get his promises. I get his salvation. He intercedes on my behalf. He never leaves me or forsakes me. I get all the benefit. He just gets this little tan man. And serve him in truth with all your heart. I want to do that. I don't do that all the time. I'm guilty of that. But I want every day, I want to serve God with all my heart. And I hate the sin in my life. I hate the struggles that I have internally, right? Mentally. I hate that I have those temptations. Romans 6 tells us not to sin. Romans 7 tells us if you try not to sin, it's going to end up worse. (laughs) It's like, oh, now what? But Romans 8 tells us, right? It's all by the Spirit. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The empowerment isn't found in me. The empowerment is found in God, all right, in Jesus Christ. And so Samuel's heart, serve the Lord with all your heart. It says, for consider what great things he has done for you. Remember the, the goodness of God. And when I do... Right? It's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. I just, I'm so thankful for that. It says, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. What a warning, what an encouragement, but what a blessing that in spite of our failures, God is faithful, right? Lord, just thank you for your word. Bless it. Help us to keep you on the throne in our hearts, Lord and to depend on you and to fear you wholeheartedly, Lord. But we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.